Hey, it was a great day at the inauguration this week. What are you guys laughing at for? Yeah, I didn't appreciate somebody taking Bernie Sanders' head and put it on my body, sent it all over Facebook. What's up with that? So anyways, great time in D.C. this week, and um, kind of lonely, um, but uh, I could see from where I was sitting. So um, the flag's kind of gotten away since there was no people there. But anyways, that's besides the point. I digress. I'm going to get myself in trouble. But uh, no. <laughs> uh, I like those gloves, don't you? Those are, wow, sharp. Oh, I have them in my office. Anyways. Uh, so just FYI, great to see everybody here this morning. We do have a 9 o'clock service, if anybody's concerned about social distancing, uh, honestly. I mean, if, if you are, we do have a 9 o'clock service, and um, so feel free. I know it's not on our sign because we haven't been able to get out there. It's been too cold um, to switch that out. But we. <laughs> <clears throat> she won't be here next week. I just want you to know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I know you will. <laughs> Anyways, no, that's great. Anyways, we've got a lot to cover this morning. Uh, so go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's page 1192, if you can use the Bible there in the seats. And again, great to see everybody. If I didn't get a chance to say hi to you in the lobby, uh, my name is Harold. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, we're uh, uh, three churches. Uh, one's in Fremont. That's our kind of the, the big church. Um, and then... We were planted, actually we relaunched, there was a church here before, and uh, 14 people were left here, and they approached Fremont and said, hey, we need some help, and Fremont said, hey, well, Fremont Grace Community Church, and so uh, they said, hey, we'll take you guys on to the campus. I was uh, on, on staff down in Fremont back in the early 2000s, back when I was young, and, uh, and then we were out in Colorado, Pastor Kevin asked if I'd come back and help relaunch um, this church, I'd done it one other time in my life. So we did. We jumped back here. This is where we raised our kids. Uh, and then we just launched a campus in Tiffin. So um, great to see everybody. Great to have you here. Uh, we are finishing up a series called Borrowed Time. And uh, we're going to be working through the, the last words of Paul's last words. So the Apostle Paul uh, is in prison. Uh, he soon will be executed for uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, kind of an interesting thing to be happening to somebody who wants to tell them about who God is and what God's done for them. But we're looking at this um, because here's the deal. Death brings clarity to life. And if we know we're going to die, then we're a little bit more clear about what really is important with life. Sadly, I think the majority of us, maybe even when it comes to that point, if we have, if there's some time between passing, but we're sick and that type of thing, we may start reg regretting um, what we've done. And, but it, it gives us, focuses in on what's the most important thing. And so what Paul is telling us as he's facing execution, he's reminding us, God's having him remind us that the most important thing for we who are Christians is that we focus in on the gospel. That's the most important thing. Living out a gospel-looked life, looking life, and then sharing the gospel. We show it and we share it. Now, we learned the first week that, um, and I'll just do a little catch-up here for those that may not have been here. Um, he does a little, uh, he reminds us of something, that those who are going to do life God's way, 
to live life the way Christ wants us to live, that's going to irritate some people. There are going to be people who are not happy with that. Some people in our families, some people we work with, neighbors, government. In Paul's case, it was all of them, including the government. And they're not going to be happy with that. And so Paul's initial comments to Timothy, who's pastoring this church in the town of Ephesus, he's a young guy, and so he's encouraging him, helping him. His first point to him is, hey, listen, you need to courageously share the gospel. You who are in Ephesus and all Christians are to to share the gospel. Do it courageously because God is empowering us and God is protecting us. He uses the word entrust a lot in in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This idea of protecting, and God is protecting that which we've entrusted to him. What have we entrusted to him? We've entrusted our lives to him, both in this life and in life after. Second week, again, Timothy's a young guy. He's, uh, he's, have, he's had two letters written to him because he's a little nervous about being a pastor, being so young. So Paul says, hey, listen, you need to be strengthened by Christ. You need to let, let Christ strengthen you. And the best way for you to do that right here, right now, is for you to develop a team of people who are going to help you disciple others. So he talks about having faithful teachers, and the rest of that chapter is about how that looks and what that looks like and what the, the teachers and those who are discipling other people, how, you know, things they need to be concerned about and, and protecting. Now here's something, and I'm, I'll probably say this later on too as well. Here's something that Christians have a tendency to forget. I've been, I've been in the church literally, literally probably the week after I was born. Okay, So mom had me, and they said, well, why do you... Why did you get bored in the hospital? I said, well, I want to be close to my mother. Anyways, um, so a week later, I'm at church. So I've been to church all my life, all right? So there's certain things that I've seen over and over, and here's one of them, that, that Christians have a tendency sometimes to, to set up their own standard for what life's supposed to be. The problem is, as we go through and as we've gone through 2 Timothy, I think some people are kind of like, mm, I don't know if I like what Harold's talking about. Well, I'm, I'm just sharing what the Bible is sharing. But this, this thing of pouring into other people's lives, discipling other people, walking through life together as Christians, helping each other through life, through life's struggles and joys, that's part of our spiritual growth. And if we're not doing that, what the Bible says is we're not growing. Even though we may think according to our standard, we are. And I can tell you about the standard that I grew up living under. And supposedly we were following Christ. Problem is we weren't sharing our faith with our neighbors. We stayed away from them. That's all what Scripture teaches. The third week, Paul says, hey, just FYI, things are going to get worse. And so as things get worse, we need to understand that we'll, we will become who we listen to. And so there's going to be people who are teaching us things that are even in the name of Jesus that are not scriptural, they're not what the Bible teaches. And so as Christians, we need to be spending time in God's Word, knowing it, studying it, and then we need to evaluate the teachers that we're listening to based on what Scripture teaches. And again, Paul's going to talk about what happens when we evaluate teachers based on what we think is true in this chapter. So these are the last words of Paul, and his very last words, he takes us back to the most important thing in lives in our life, we who are Christians, those who have placed our faith in Christ, and it's the gospel mission. 
If you're wondering as a Christian, why do you get up every morning? It's to represent Christ and look for ways to share Christ with other people. That's what your whole life is about. It really simplifies things in one, in one way. It may make things a little more difficult in other ways, but it's pretty simplified. So let me go ahead and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Uh, hopefully you've been reading through 2 Timothy, um, but I'm going to read 1 through 8. You can read the rest of it when you get home. Uh, he's just talking about, you know, about different people that have helped him and those who haven't helped him and that type of thing. But here's what he says. So he's talking to Timothy. The, the church in Ephesus is hearing this letter read, so they're aware of what he's being told and what their responsibility is, and then this is to us as well. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. And that's kind of the big um, command here we'll talk about. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not, they, professing Christians, will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, which I don't know about you, man, I hate having my ears tickled. Kim comes up behind me, Harold, love you, you know, wipe the blood off her face, you know. Anyways, but some people evidently like to have their ears tickled with what people are saying. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths, to fables, to things that are not true. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. It means a sacrifice to God. We'll talk about that. In the time of my departure, my execution has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Some incredible words here. Paul is, like I said, is, he's kind of setting up this whole thing around this one big command to, to preach the word. Now, I want to help us all understand this. We tend to think preaching pastor, pastor preaches. I don't have to, this is not to me. Now this word preach is connected to the gospels, to sharing the gospel. Anybody who's sharing the gospel is actually proclaiming or sharing, preaching the gospel. So it's for all of us, especially for me as a pastor, but for, for all of us. And so he's saying, hey, listen, be ready. And I'm not going to use the word preach it. I'm going to use the word to bring it. All right, We need to bring the gospel into the lives of our church, into our church family, and into the lives of our community. That's our command. We do that because God is our audience, which we're going to talk about. We do it because there are going to be professing Christians who are going to want to wander away from the truth. And thirdly, we do it, interestingly, because God's going to reward us for it. Christ is going to reward us for it. So let's start working through this uh, quickly this morning, because again, there's a lot here. So Paul solemnly charges Timothy. He's, he's strongly commanding Timothy. He's, he's taking, you know, Paul's an apostle, right? So he's got this incredible authority from Jesus Christ. He's one of the church, main church leaders. And so he's kind of putting on his, his apostolic hat, and he's saying, okay, 
Listen to what I'm saying. This is not just Paul, your friend, your mentor. This is Paul, the apostle. And you need to do some things. Really, you need to do one thing, and it kind of plays out, and you need to bring it. You need to continually bring it. He says that he charges him, he commands him in the presence of God. Now, a lot of times we just read over this, kind of like reading over the greeting of the letter. We kind of just read over this. But here's the deal. What he's saying is God's watching. It's not like God's sitting up in the stands with some popcorn and some Coke and slurping on his Coke, watching us run up and down the basketball court. It's not God sitting up in the stands, you know, making sure some of the angels go get him a hot dog or two and watching us play a football game. What he's saying here is God, we're in the presence of God. God is here. God is watching in the sense that he's involved. He's paying attention. He's evaluating. Who, as a Christian, is doing life the way I said to do it, and who's not? We're in his presence. From the moment we wake up, so the moment we go to bed, and even while we sleep, according to Scripture, we are in God's presence. And he says, hey, listen, we are in his presence, and so I'm challenging you, I'm commanding you, because God is paying attention. He also commands him in the presence of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, or we can call him Judge Jesus. Anybody, Judge Judy? Anybody love Judge Judy here? Okay, I don't want to see people who don't like her, because Judge Judy, she's awesome, Right? This is far greater, far more real, far more important. This is Judge Jesus. He's going to judge the living and the dead. Well, who are the living? The living are those who have placed their faith in Christ, those who have been given spiritual life through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he's going to judge us. Now, this judgment, and we're going to talk more about this later because Paul brings it up again, so I'll just quickly give you this. This judgment is a judgment of reward. It's kind of a civil judgment. And so it's, a, it's how much are we going to get over and above heaven. So it's a judgment of reward based on our faithfulness, based on our willingness to spend time in God's word, to grow and serve with his spiritual family, and live out and share the gospel. Because again, that's, that's kind of a summary of what Christ has called us to do. And you'll hear that several times, because again, that's the summary. So he's going to give a, a civil judgment or a judgment of reward to those who are spiritually alive, those who are Christians, but he's also going to be judging the dead. Well, the dead are those who are not spiritually alive. Those who in this lifetime have rejected what Jesus has offered them. They've rejected forgiveness of their sins. They've rejected a relationship with God. They've rejected what God wants to give them. And this is a judgment, this is a legal judgment. It's a judgment of, um, of a death sentence. It's of a, an eternity spent in hell. Well, why? Again, that's unbelievable. When you sin against a person, it's only there as long as that person is around, really. But when you sin against an infinite God, your sin, no matter how small or big it is, it's infinite. And so the judgment has to be infinite. It's an eternity in hell. And here's the deal. God doesn't force anybody to take that gift. God doesn't force, God loves us, right? We, all, we hear it all the time, God's love, God's love, God's love. Yeah, he is. 
And so he's not going to force anybody to take his gift of salvation. He's just not going to do it. Because if a person doesn't want him in their life on, in this earth, on this earth, they're not going to want to be with him for eternity. So he's not going to force himself on anybody. So sadly, there will be those who reject this offer from Christ. But Jesus wants as many people as possible to be in his kingdom, to, to have his relationship with God, to know they're going to heaven. There's a lot of different phrases and words we use in the Bible for that. But he wants people to be in his kingdom. He wants to protect them here on this earth. And he wants to use them here on this earth. And he wants to take them to heaven one day. And so Paul challenges Timothy and us by Jesus appearing in kingdom. Now, what's he talking about there? There's two options. It could be his first coming when he came to earth as a baby and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and rose again to defeat our sin and death. Or it could be the second time he comes back. Context would tell us it's the second time. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, and again, this kind of blows all of our minds as Christians. We're like, wow, that's unbelievable. But the Bible tells us that at some point in the future, Jesus Christ is going to do away with all the mess that we see around us. And he's actually going to put a, a physical kingdom on this earth. And you'd be like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I know, I, you know. But here's the deal. If we believe he came the first time as a baby, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again to defeat our sin and death, then we better believe when he says he's coming back the second time, he's going to do it. Blows our mind, I get it. But he's going to come back. He's going to set up his kingdom. But for now, that kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's, it's in our hearts. Those who have placed their faith in Christ. Jesus is our king. We are his servant. Which is why in, when the Bible tells us this is how you need to do life, when God says, hey, this is how you need to do life, we do life that way. Why? Because he's our king and we're his servant. We don't tell the king what to do. We don't tell the king how we're going to do it. The king tells us what to do. And we're a servant. And so we do life his way for his purposes. And so we're citizens of heaven living in this earth. And, and we're foreigners. We look different. My dad's from Norway. So he's got this real thick Norwegian accent. And when he first came over, he used Norwegian words that sounded like English words that you shouldn't be saying necessarily, you know, as a Christian guy. And there's a glazing around windows that uh, in Norwegian, it sounds like, something a dog might do. And so my dad would be asking guys, hey, do you got any of that? You know, and they're like, uh, Trig, uh, you shouldn't be using that language. Well, as Christians, I, I don't know if you guys realize this, but when you start doing life God's way, it looks different, doesn't it? Feels different. And that, you know, kind of, oh, I'm not sure if that's how I'm supposed to respond to my wife. That's how I'm supposed to respond to my husband. That's how I'm supposed to respond to my employer. That's how I'm supposed to respond to my coworker, my neighbor. Man, that's just not how I used to do it. Right. And that's why our lives are all messed up <laughs> before coming to Christ. So we do life his way. And that's gonna, we're going to look different. Not just me walking around life the way I look. When we start living life different, it's going to be different. Now, sadly, this next point gets some Christians a little bit nervous. Um, for some reason, when the pastor starts talking numerical growth, uh, there are some Christians who go, oh, I don't know, pastor. You seem like you're too concerned about people you know, growing in our church.
Yeah, we are. We're concerned with what Jesus is concerned about. Matthew 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. What's he saying there? He's going to roll up in a tank and knock down gates? No, these are people that he's saving out of hell from going to hell who are going to be placed in his kingdom. These are people. So Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm going to to have more and more people coming to faith in me. I'm going to be saving more and more people from hell. We want what Jesus wants, don't we, as Christians? Hey, we better never be like, I don't know, grace point's too big. Well, then we're saying the kingdom's too big. Then we're saying some people don't deserve to be in the kingdom anymore because our church is too big. Now, I love our church because nobody has said that to me in our church. In the four years, almost four years that we've been at, nobody has said a thank you very much. And if you're thinking about saying it to me, now you know you probably don't want to say it to me. <laughs> now we want what Jesus wants. I love our church family because for those of you that are first-time attenders with us or just recently attending, God is doing some incredible stuff in our church family. People who are not churched people are coming to Christ. They're, they're realizing, oh man, there's a whole different way of doing life. I didn't know that it was there. And so then they're saying, oh, oh, I need to put my faith in Christ and he'll figure out my sins. What? I mean, I've had some people swear at me they're so excited about it. It's really kind of fun to watch. Um, maybe you should hear some of the conversation out in the hallway sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean, just because, you know, they haven't understood the church mindset. Anyway, um, no, it's awesome. It's great to see. And I love the fact that we have people who are uh, checking, you know, they're in other churches, they're checking out other churches, they come to our church, they're, they're, they're professing Christians, and they, they come here, and, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But let me just give you uh, just a little bit of a, uh, a message, a, a note, or an encouragement. Jesus never called us to attend a church. You can't find it in the Bible. What he did say is, I, I want you to be the church. I want you to be my followers. I want you to connect with other Christians working together to accomplish what it is. The church, followers of Christ, Christians, regularly spend time with God in the Word. They, they grow and serve together with their spiritual family, and then they share the gospel by showing their lives and speaking the words of what the gospel is. Jesus said, disciples will follow me. That's what Jesus did on earth, and that's where spiritual growth happens for us. We can't just attend church. You you should come to church on Sunday morning, but you're not coming to church, you're being with your church family. And you should be involved with your church family. You should be connecting with your church family. Because if you don't do that, you're not growing spiritually Whatever your measurement is, I don't care. I mean, I care. I care about you. I don't care about the standard. I had a standard growing up, but it wasn't what was Scripture. It wasn't fully what Scripture was talking about. As we grow spiritually, we'll grow numerically. And, and as we grow numerically, if we do it God's way, if we do it the way Jesus wants us to do it, we'll grow spiritually. 
But we all have to do it together. We, we have to, as we grow larger, we need to think smaller. So I just want to remind you, and for some of you, like those who are first-timers, this is what we got going. Go back. No. Time out. There, time. Nope. Go back. There you go. Stop. Time out. Notice side point with an E. Grace point. Get it? Anyways. <clears throat> So as we grow larger, we must respond smaller. As we get larger as a church, we, we need to respond to each other on a, on a smaller level, which means more and more people need to be involved doing this. So we have our prayer and care ministry. It's, a church, it's church-wide and needs to be doing it ministry-wide. It's people in our church who have committed, members of our church who have committed to pray for everybody else in our church. Men praying for men, women praying for men, women, and, and connecting with them at church when they're here. Uh, if they don't see them for a couple of weeks, they're sending them a, you know, an email or a text. They're just, hey, just thinking about you, praying for you. Hope you're okay. Let us know if there's any needs. And then we hear about needs. And then we can respond to those needs. We're growing to the point, I can't keep track of everybody. And, so we, and that's not how Scripture says for us to do it anyways, right? So, so we have the prayer and care ministry. We have adult Bible studies. One for men that meets in here. The women... They meet over in the quad, which is actually should be called a uniroom, because it's just one big room now. It's not four separate rooms, but the quad. And they, we meet on Thursday at 7 p.m. We had over 30 people here, which is awesome. That's like a third of the people who attend on a Sunday morning. You see something wrong with that? I do. Where's everybody else? I mean, you can only get so much from me on a Sunday morning. I go two hours. I get it. But, you know, I'm just kidding. I don't. <laughs> Some of you first time. <laughs> Where's the easy way out of here? You know? We should all be here on Thursday night. We should all be studying God's word together. We should all be praying for each other. We should all be connecting with each other. Because we get a little bit more in-depth Bible study on Thursday nights than we can do here. We're forming adult, adult groups, 10 to 12 people getting together for food, fellowship, and prayer. That's pretty easy, right? Go to someone's house, hang out with them, eat food, <laughs> you know, talk about stuff, what's going on in your life, and then they pray together, and then they go home. We're signing up. Information center. Put your name down if you want to be a part of an adult group. It's something new we're trying to do, get things started. But here's the deal. If people don't sign up, then the facilitators who have signed up, they're going to be the small group or the adult group. And that's fine. We'll get started with them, and then we'll grow from there. Microgroups for men and women, separate groups. Three people, three men, three women, getting together to discuss God's Word, to pray together, and then to walk through life together. And so as people are going through struggles, people are going through good times, they're there for each other. And so as, as people are going through a difficult time, you know, one guy is having a struggle, he's going to call his brothers and say, hey, listen, I'm going through a difficult time. You know, hey, we're there for you. Let's get together. Let's talk. Let's pray. What do you need? Now, if the facilitator of that group's like, okay, this is a little bit over my head, he calls me. Hey, Harold, you're the professional. <laughs> we need your help. I'm like, you're nuts. No, just kidding. <clears throat> I don't deal with that guy. No, and then we all get together and we talk about it. So we, 
We need to be caring for each other. We have the, the fused student ministry happens on Thursday night. The middle school and high school students are here on there right now. Some of them are off on a, a winter retreat, um, but we have that going on. We have our young adults that meet at least twice a month. You know, we'll see Dave's kind of take over that ministry. And um, so those are just some of the ways that we can be connecting as a church. All right, let's move on. Need to, need to fly here. So Paul moves on, and he, and he says that another reason why he's commanding Christians to bring it is because professing Christians, we're going to see them start falling away, start moving away, wandering away from the truth. Actually, time out. I do have another point. I need to say this one. I skipped over it, but I need to say it. And again, nobody has said this to me here at Grace Point. Okay, I've just been in church for all my life, and so I hear these things. But here's, here's a little more challenge. One more. If you're attending sporadically, and you're not taking advantage of the things that we're putting into place for you to, to connect with people and to grow spiritually and to be challenged and... and, and um, uh, trained and developed and given the information necessary to share the gospel. And, and then you say, you know, I, I really, I'm not really growing spiritually at Grace Point. I'm really not connecting with people on Facebook, uh, at Grace Point. I, I want to say this as gently as possible, okay? Because I care about people. I want to see people grow. That's not on us. That's on you. You need to be with your church family. It's incredible when you're with your church family and you start Monday through Saturday doing life God's way. It's amazing the impact that he does in other people's lives who are watching you. Why do you think we have so many non-church people coming to Christ recently? Because the previously non-church people are trying to do life God's way. Not perfectly. None of us do. Some of them are, feel like they're really struggling and letting Christ down. The problem is that friends and family are coming to Christ. Can't beat that. I won't say who it is, but somebody told me, I said, man, I'm not doing anything and people are coming to Christ. I think I'm going to keep doing that, he said. No, no, you need to be involved. Again, I won't say who that was. And some of you who know are thinking about two people right now, but just put that away. Listen to the rest of this message. So, he said, they will not endure sound teaching. He's talking about people who call themselves Christians. They won't endure sound teaching. They're going to get to a point where they don't want to hear the truth of God's word. They're going to want teachers who are going to tickle their ears. They're going to, they're going to set up this standard of what Christianity should be in their minds. And then they're going to start looking out and saying, okay, who's teaching that? Or, oh, is that person teaching something different? I'm going to actually add that to my standards. I like that. And I'm going to pull this one and this one and this one and this one. And then they're going to gather up, multiply. There's going to be a bunch of people who are teaching them what they want to hear. But sadly, it's not the truth. And so they're going to follow after fables. They're going to follow after what's not true. So Paul says we need to, to preach it. Now, preach it. Bring it. If you've been here for the last three weeks, you know that this is a present tense. We need to continually, day in, day out, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what people say, we need to bring it. We need to share the gospel. We need to show the gospel. No matter what goes on, we need to do it. 
We bring the gospel and the biblical truths into Christians' lives. Why? Because there's a tendency for people who are not grounded in Scripture to go walking off somewhere else. And so we need to keep them. And this is what's important. The, the gospel is important. It, it impacts all of our lives, every area of our lives. And we need to bring it to non-Christians, obviously. People need to know that God loves them, that God's willing to take away their sin, willing to take away their eternal judgment, to, to allow him to be the one who provides and protects in their life as they do life his way in order to draw people to Christ. And when they die, they get to go to heaven. And we'll find out that even above, over and above that, there's some rewards involved. And so he says, hey, listen, this is serious stuff. This is, th there's a lot at stake here. And so we need to be ready. We need to suit up. We need to get in the game. When we're messing around, be ready. In season, out of season, when it's easy, when it's not easy. That's what he's talking about there. So what do we do? We, we bring God's word to bear and we reprove some people. We sit down with them. We say, hey, listen, I'm a little concerned about you, but... <clears throat> I see your life kind of going in this way, and this is what the Bible says about it. I'm really kind of concerned. And then some people go, yeah, yeah, whatever. Now we take God's word, and he says that we need to rebuke. That's a little bit stronger reproof. It's, it's a little bit more, hey, no, 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 listen to me. This is not the way for you to go. This is what God's word says. This is how life is to be done. I get it, it doesn't make sense. I get it that it's weird. I get it that people are going to look at you kind of weird. But I'm telling you, this works. This is what it is. And then he uses the word exhort. This is, I've just been telling you what exhort is, right? Coming alongside of somebody, putting your arm around them, showing them in the Bible what God's word says, and then saying, listen, I want to walk through this with you. This is discipleship. This is the microgroups. This is Christianity. This is spiritual growth. And then he finishes up, he says, with great patience and instruction. How many of you have ever tried that with somebody? Sit somebody down, a Christian brother or sister, and like, hey, listen, I'm concerned about you. And you, and you tell them what God's word says, and eh, and you tell them again, eh, you tell them again, eh. You gotta do it with great patience. It's not beating someone over the head, not shoving it down their throat, it's just with great patience, instruct them, show them, help them understand what God says in his word. It says we're to be stable, to sober in all things. In other words, not emotionally charged, not emotionally worked up, not getting all ticked off when someone's not listening to you. We're to be emotionally stable. We're supposed to endure hardship. We need to hang in there. People's eternity is on the line. It doesn't matter. If they're going to get all worked up and frustrated, let them. We don't need to do that. We just need to stick in there. Patiently instruct. It says, do the work of an evangelist. That word there is one who brings good news. We bring it. We bring the good news. We just continue talking about who Jesus is. Continue talking about what he says. Continue talking about what he's done in our lives. And when you fulfill your ministry, Timothy's ministry is being a pastor. My ministry is being a pastor. What's your ministry? Because your ministry is where God has you. What family are you in? That's your ministry. Where do you work? 
That's your ministry. Where do you, where do you live? That's your ministry. What clubs are you a part of, groups are you a part of? That's your ministry. That's who you're going to bring it to. Last one, Jesus says that, or Paul says that Jesus is going to reward us. Paul says he's a, he's a, um, he's a drink offering. What's that? It's a sacrifice. And what he's saying is, Jesus Christ shed his blood for me, now I'm going to shed my blood for him. That's what he's saying there. It's a drink offering. Just think, you know, pouring out liquid. He's pouring out his blood. When he gets executed, his head gets chopped off. There's going to be a lot of blood spilled, just like Jesus' blood was spilled for him. He lived a life dedicated. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. And now he's going to sacrifice his very life. But he's okay with that because he knows, one, he's going to heaven, two, that Christ is going to reward him. It talks about his crown of righteousness. Crown is, it shows a person's royalty. It shows a person's honor. And so Christ is going to put on Paul's head this crown, this crown of royalty, because he's a child of the, of the king, right? And so he's going to put that on. And the crown of righteousness, it's, it's honorable. But it's tied to righteousness. We can't forget that. Yes, we get heaven, but it's tied to righteousness. It's tied to doing life God's way for God's purpose. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says uh, this. If any man's work, which he has built on it, remains, in other words, the result of a life lived for Jesus, he will receive a reward. Over and above heaven, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, or in other words, results of a life lived for self, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. In other words, he'll still go to heaven. His loss is not his salvation. A person who's truly placed their faith in Christ, if he lives his life for himself, that's all going to be burnt up. That's all going to be gone. That's what he'll lose. He won't have a reward. He doesn't lose his salvation. Yet so as through fire. In other words, by the skin of your teeth, you're just getting in and, right? Woo! And he goes on in 2 Corinthians, for we Christians must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And again, this is that rewards, civil reward, so that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good, those things done for Jesus, or bad, those things done for self. And so there's going to be a weighing out not for salvation. Only Christ saves. Faith in Christ and Christ alone is what saved us, saves us. But there's a reward over and above heaven for people, as Paul says, who have loved his appearing. Paul was confident that he was going to have his reward. And he says, but I'm confident also that everyone who does life God's way will have this crown of righteousness. Those Christians who are committed to being with God in His Word and serving and growing with their spiritual family and sharing and showing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those will be the ones, when we get to heaven, 
He's going to put a crown of righteousness on us. It's connected to doing life God's way, not our way. And so we have to evaluate. Am I really doing life God's way? Or am I doing life the way I think I should do it? It sounds good to me. But it takes time being in God's Word. Being here on Sundays, being here on Thursdays, being in the Word on your own. Well, as the band comes, uh, we do takeaways every week. Uh, just some things that we can just kind of grab hold of from what I've just said and <clears throat> head out into this world who needs Christ. And so I've got a question for you. Do you love Jesus appearing? Are you looking forward to Christ's return? Man, I know I am. I am so excited about the fact that one of these days, Jesus Christ is coming back. And I can, as a lot of people, Christians say, we can get out of here. No. That's not what should excite us about Jesus coming back. What should excite us about Jesus coming back is not us getting out of here, but when he does return, how many of our friends and family and co-workers and neighbors and people, and then for them on back, are with us? Paul talks about that believers are his joy and crown. In Philippians, he talks about it. First Thessalonians, he talks about it. How many people in your life, because you've influenced them for Christ, are going to be with you? That's what makes us excited about Jesus Christ coming back. Not that we walk up with some arrogant pride, because we didn't do it. Christ is doing it through us, but thank you. I have all these people in my life who have come to Christ. I cannot wait for all of us to be in heaven. The sad thing is, it's connected to that. Our rewards are connected with that. And there's a potential, even in our church, where I talk about this all the time, of Christians who are setting up their own standard who will eventually wander away from this truth and not experience the life God wants for them here on this earth. So the last takeaway, will you be ready to bring it? Will you do what it is as a Christian that will cause you to receive the reward that Christ wants to give you? That's the most important thing we have to do in this life because we're living on borrowed time. We don't know when our end will come.